Welcome, listeners, to episode number 21 of the Andrew Food for Thought podcast. Today, I am joined by a special guest, my uncle Moses Valdez, who is joining me from Oak Park, Illinois, which is a suburb uh, just outside of Chicago on the west side. And I'm uh, recording from here in my apartment in Oakland. And this is going to be an exciting episode. We're going to be mostly talking about the food of South Texas, an area where our family is originally from before my grandparents moved to Chicago. Um, They had been in the South Texas area for several generations, dating back to even when it was Mexico. And so um, I'm really excited to talk about the food there and also uh, talk about some trips that my uncle has made there, and including a trip that I made with him and some of our other family members uh, to go see where our family had lived for several generations and learn about the history, uh, which uh, also includes uh, some of the great food that's down in South Texas and uh, some of the food that has carried over to our family in later generations and is still a family tradition that we carry. So uh, as usual, we're going to feature a restaurant. Actually, we're going to feature two restaurants today. So the first one is El Sabor de Mi Tierra. And uh, Mo, I'll go ahead and let you talk about this restaurant and what you like about it and uh, why you decided to feature it today. Well, um, Sabor de Mi Tierra was um, a bit of a surprise. And we found the restaurant a little bit by accident because um, being from Chicago, you can get good Mexican food, but it's really hard to get good Tex-Mex food. And the last trip I took there, I was with my mother and my sister and my niece. We were um, trying to do some work with the family cemetery that has been there for generations. And the fellow who was working on some of the headstones for my great-grandparent, my um, grandmother, um, I my mom suggest asked him, can you find us a really authentic, really good food where we can get some good tacos, <laughs> Mexican food? And he mentioned nonchalantly a, a restaurant down the block that we kind of passed back and forth, which we weren't very fond of. It was not very good. And we said, no, we want authentic, authentic. And he said, ah, sabor de mi tierra. And we went in there and it was full of the locals um, uh, families and the food was probably my experience of the most authentic, really good Tex-Mex food that I've ever had. And how about the menu and the food at El Sabor de Michiera? Like, do you remember what dish you ordered? And when you're when you're going in the restaurant, uh, what is the atmosphere like? And is there anything that stood out to you about um, what the restaurant looked like or, or anything like that? You walk in and I, how do I put this? It's a very family restaurant, but super, um, all the decorations was very Western. A lot of pictures of vaqueros, um, hats, horses. I mean, as you, you know, shoes um horseshoes it, it but you walk in and you see just fa- tables full of families enjoying their food talking and it, that gives you a really good vibe when you walk especially into any restaurant especially a latino restaurant when you hear the music the family's laughing you know that this is a good place um the menu I'm a little bit embarrassed because we actually ordered a lot because we were so overwhelmed. So we wanted to try everything. So what my family does is we'll all order different plates and then try each other's food. So, um, of course, we did our traditional Mexican migas. Again, this is something that you see in a menu only in Texas because migas is probably a version that we would know in California or Chicago as well as rancheros, but in Texas, they call it migas, which is a very, uh, a word just for Tejanos. Um, we, uh, my mom ordered the guisada, which is made with like a carne meat. It's like a stew. Um, the, it was so soft. It was flavorful. I think you flavor it with like a cumin. Um, just, it was, uh, amazing. Their tortillas are made from scratch and, um, They'll, they'll offer you either corn or flour. Both are made from scratch. We've had um, the 
tamales. We tried them. They make them there from scratch. I mean, everything that they had was just melts in your mouth flavor that could die for. And was kind of interesting being that it's in the United States, you know, this is South Texas. Their menu also included your traditional American food. I mean, they made pancakes from scratch. They made briskets, you know, so it was such a, a mixture and probably the through true authenticity of Tex-Mex um, food. So I haven't had a chance myself to go to this restaurant. Uh, the, the time that I was in San Benito with the family, we went to some other places, mm-hmm. but just from how you describe it, it, it sounds like it's very kind of symbolic of uh, San Benito and the surrounding area where you have like a lot of the big American chain restaurants, but it's kind of mixed mm-hmm. with side by side with these uh, small local establishments that have very much have this regional cuisine that is part uh, like Northern Mexico uh, because the land itself was, was a part of Mexico before um, the United States, uh, you know, took over that land mm-hmm. and made it Texas. Um but then also you have maybe influence from Texas cuisine, like how they uh, barbecue a lot of meats and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. So it sounds like it's very much kind of uh, that mix of, of the different uh, cultures that you'll find in the area. And even then too, mm-hmm. like when we were there, I recall that you mm-hmm. hear a lot of people speaking Spanish in the area, even though it is part of the United States and like, you know, all the schools, everything is in English and the stores, the signs are in English, things like that. But, but you still hear a mix of both languages. So um, it is kind of an interesting part of the country where you have that uh, mix of, of different cultures coming together. Um, Mm -hmm. So let's go on to the second featured restaurant. And it's really not a restaurant. It's more of a bakery. Uh, It's called La Special Bakery. And this was a place mm-hmm. that I was able to go to and really enjoyed. And I would say is maybe my favorite bakery that I've been to. Uh, so how would you describe La Special Bakery and uh, what do you like about it? So La Special Bakery has been around, uh, I believe, for three generations. Um, my mother, she was born in 1936 in El Ranchito, which is a um, the countryside of San Benito. San Benito was there downtown. And when she was a preteen, she moved to La um, San Benito with her grandfather. She used to go to the bakery in the, I believe the 50s. It, was, it would have been the 50s. So she, that was a memory that she had. She would go get her Coca-Cola. Because again, this is Americana culture, Right. Tex-Mex mixture. So she would go to the Mexican bakery, get her concha. Well, actually, they wouldn't call it concha, and I'll get into that a little bit later. But she would get her Mexican bread, her panduce, and a little Coca-Cola. And she would talk about this bakery. You know, we were growing up in Chicago, or I grew up in Oak Park, about how the bread was so amazing. And when we went down there, she took us there, and I've been there multiple times since. <laughs> and we met the owner who I believe it was his grandfather who built the brick oven back in the late 20s when they opened the bakery and they still use the oven to this day to make their pan dulce. The bread is to die for. The Mexican um, sweet bread is just amazing. I've never had Mexican bread so good. Um, They probably use the best ingredients to make the Mexican bread. A little history on Mexican um, bakeries is their influence probably would have been since Texas was pre-United States, part of the Mexican territory. And Mexico, as you know, has been uh, the influence probably mostly from the Spanish. Then you had a little bit, some Italians did go into New Spain, some French did as well. So that kind of influence of the many different kinds of breads and pastries uh, was influenced by the French. And they, it kind of turned into what we know now as the panderia, the Mexican bakery. So the, it's a very tradition. One kind of interesting note, I would say that when you go to Texas and you go to La Special, in Chicago, when you order the concha pan dulce, and I'm sure you know what that is, right, Andrew? Yep. So they call it the concha, which in Spanish means shell. And um, growing up in Chicago, 
I would say the influence of Mexican food, you did have a lot of Tejanos that probably migrated to Chicago in the 50s when they were looking for jobs. But there was a big influx of um, Mexican-Americans who probably their families came from Mexico so, or, you know, even in, I don't know what they call it in California, but it's called the Concha. But in Texas, they don't call it the Concha. And I know this because I asked her for the Concha and the lady looked at me <laughs> like, what? She had no clue what I was talking about. And my mom says, oh, down here, we call it Moyeta. And I guess that means cheeks. So, I, which is interesting because I think a molleta is different in Mexico. It's a different kind of food, but that's what they call it. And this is what I'm saying. What's so interesting about Tex-Mex culture and Tejano food is even it, it, they kind of got stuck in time, you know, and they just be, you know, once the border came annexed and many of these generations of uh, Mexican-Americans stayed and became Americans, it, they kind of got stuck in this little bubble. So their words are different. Um so the the bread, um, so that that's one thing I just wanted to mention was when you go down there, don't ask for a concha. I just wanted to say one note about the restaurant. I, if I remember, and they could do it now, but they didn't have horchata, which is another thing that is not something you'd find in South Texas. Probably at a regular Mexican restaurant off the side of the road, you know, like you said, like a chain, they would have it, but it's not something that was found in South Texas when my mom was young. That's something that probably came from Mexico and it's very big in Chicago and California, but the, it doesn't exist in, in South Texas. Another thing about the bakery and the experience mm -hmm. that we had there. So back in um, 2015, we did kind of a road trip down to San Benito. And so, um, yes. Mo, you and and my grandma, who would be your mom, and uh, so several several of our family members took took a road trip from Chicago down to Texas, and then I flew in, met you guys in Austin, where we have some relatives who live in Austin. We stayed there for a couple of days, and then drove uh, several hours south, all the way down to uh, what they would call the Valley, the part of Texas where San Benito is. And so mm -hmm. we stayed there for a few days. And part of the purpose of the trip was kind of learning about the family history. So uh, since uh, my grandma was there, she was able to get, tell us stories about growing up there and uh, some of her memories and some of the family history. Yeah. So we did some of that. And then, um, you know, while we were doing that, we kind of landed at this bakery. And during the four days we were there, we kept going every day back to this bakery. We went there. Uh, multiple times yeah. because the bread was so good and we were so impressed with the selection yes. and everything, the variety that they had. And so one thing that was really cool that, that we look back on with fond memories was maybe the second or third day we started a conversation with the people that were working there. And pretty soon the owner walked over and, and talked to us and, um, and they were so nice and generous that they said, hey, let's we'll show you our ovens and we'll show you the whole bakery. So they gave us a tour and we walked around and saw how they prepare the bread. And we saw the oven that they've had there since mm -hmm. the 1940s. Um, so mm -hmm. when you think back on that trip and, and that experience when we got a tour of the bakery, um, like what kind of memories uh, come back when, when you think about that experience that we had there? For me, it was the connection with I love human connection and and nothing can connect to you more than with good food, right? A memory of food and, and food is a very important part of Tex-Mex culture. And I, I just, I loved how the owner, his eyes lit up when he knew that my mom used to go there in the fifties. And he said he was a young boy, right? Working there for his father and um, being able for him to give us the tour. He, it, we were excited, but I think he was just as excited to show us. Um, I don't know if you remember, he took us to hit the back part of the store where he had a grapefruit tree and he gave us some grapefruit off the tree, mm -hmm. which probably was the best grapefruit I've ever had. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm just, you know, it, it, there's something about that. So I think that also made the connection to really um, always having a good memory of La Especial. I do want to note that they've mentioned, because I've been back multiple times ever since, and I, now his sons actually run it, the, the father, I think he's retired. 
um, they, they mentioned to me that many people who are from Texas for, that now live in California or Chicago, and there's even people from Mexico, they special order and have the, the pan dulce and their tamales delivered um, via mail. Yeah, and, and mm-hmm. even San Benito is not a very large town. It's it's a pretty small yeah. town and the surrounding area there's there's a kind no of one. other small towns but yet every time we went there there was a line of people uh waiting to to place their order so mm-hmm. it's like it's very yeah. well known around the area and and people are are going there frequently to uh to get the bread there and so i, I like what you said about the you know just kind of having that human connection and and being able to relate to the history i think one thing that kind of um would would be an example of that so uh as you know i have this food blog that i used to do and one of the posts that i did was about la special bakery and i Mm -hmm. I remember when we got back uh when i got back to california you had posted it on their facebook page and and a few other places and uh so i have this um this page this website that kind of that tells me how many page views I get for each post that I do. And next thing I knew, the number of page views for the bakery was off the charts. Like it was like more than three times uh, any other post that I had ever done. And, and that's still the case. It's it's the most page views I've had for any post that I've done. And I think, like you said, it's that human connection where it's like this place means so much to a lot of people. And mm-hmm you posted it on their page and they reposted it. And so everybody that follows the page, they got all excited because they really take pride in this bakery and they, they like to see this good review of it. So um, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's something that I look back on. And uh, you know, I I love to tell people the story of more specifically like going to the bakery because it was like pretty uh, meaningful to us as a family Mm -hmm. and, and uh, just really cool to share that experience. And, it's yeah, exactly. And, and it's, and, my, and it, here's the thing is this isn't something that I'm saying that there's so the fact that I have a family connection to South Texas and my mom is from there. My dad's from there makes it even more amazing. But I do want to say if you ever travel to South Padre Island, which I also recommend, you have to hop on over to San Benito and go to La Especial Bakery. I mean, I'm not, I, I and, and when you do, whoever's listening, when you do, you will definitely say it's probably one of the best Mexican breads you've ever had. Now, you, you've had the chance uh, to go down to South Texas a couple of times. Um, so what have those experiences been like for you? Like, is, is there anything else about, uh, the culture there that stands out to you or um, things that you learned that, that were like uh, new things that you didn't realize were um, kind of a part of uh, our own family culture. You know, when you were growing up as a kid in Chicago and Oak Park, there were certain things of, of our family culture that um, you maybe you didn't realize that kind of came from this area that was very specific to the region of South Texas and of San Benito. Well, my parents moved to Chicago in 1962. There are eight children in our family. Um, half, most of them grew up in the Chicago area. When I was three, we moved to Oak Park, Illinois, which is a great community. I didn't really realize how unique my family was until I got older. I thought everybody ate the way we ate. But, you know, my mom did cook authentic Mexican food at home. But again, she grew up in Texas with my father. And, you know, they were 50s kids. You know, they liked the burger here and there. <laughs> they like American food. But, you know, my mom really stayed true to cooking authentic Mexican food, beans and rice from scratch. Um, some dishes that are authentic to South Texas that my mom makes is uh, fideo, uh, which is like a soup with a thin noodle, uh, tomato paste soup. Um, she would make tamales during the holidays. Um, she would make, um, she actually had to learn how to cook what my dad, like my dad was a huge seafood eater. Um, but what made my mom's family very unique, um, like I told you on her maternal side, so she was raised by her mother's family. 
Her mother died when she was very young. That's the Abrego family. They, I can go back six generations. And what I've learned going back there, and also I did take some classes at Columbia College about Hispanics in the U.S. since the 1800s. So I've kind of pieced everything together. But my mom kind of threw a little curveball at me once. And she's like, my mom used to make or my aunts used to make matzo bean soup or they make potato pancakes. And this is not a traditional Mexican Mexican dish. And maybe in some parts of Mexico where you have the influence of the Jewish influence. Um, her mother used to take the chicken and break it by its neck. I know it sounds a little crazy, but this, you know, it, it, it's, it's a traditional uh, Sephardic Jewish where you would do it a certain way and you put a cross on the ground and you bless the chicken. And these are things that kind of, um, as I, when I went down to Texas, I started realizing um, the huge influence of the Sephardic um, conversos, the hidden Jews of, uh, that came from Spain, that went to New Spain. And a lot of them did not live in Mexico City. They went up north. So, and this is coming from the history that I took at college. Most of Oklahoma, Arizona, um, New Mexico, all the way to South Texas, uh, a, a majority of those um, Mexican-Americans or Tejanos that have been there for generations, uh, I guarantee have converse, uh, Sephardic Jewish bloodlines. So I, I would say that was kind of an interesting um, history. And it's kind of the last time I went there, a lot of the family has dispersed the Abregos or the Gallardos or the, the Perez family, you know, the, all the children moved away. So now I think tech, South Texas is changing. You have new immigrants um, and it's kind it's still authentic Mexican-American Tejano, but um, that I think that's something that's I found very interesting on my mom's side of the family. Uh, my dad's side is a little bit different. Um, his family has family in, in Saltillo, which is northern uh, Mexico near Monterrey. Um, and I believe with him, we go back three generations. The other thing I want to mention is um, the connection we have to our indigenous roots, because I think a lot of people don't realize Tex-Mex people, Tejanos, and I'm talking about Tex-Mex, um, they do have indigenous bloodlines. You know, Mexicans, a majority of them are mestizo people, so they have indigenous bloodlines. And I, I would say the influence of the indigenous bloodlines are native to that land of Texas. We are of that land. I mean, this is uh, a history that has been rooted and it's it's an integral part of Texas history. And then you have the influence of different um, people from different um settling there from different areas. And I think that's what makes Texas so unique. It's such a, it's a thread. Each is like a piece of thread that creates this beautiful, like, you know, tap tapestry. So it's, it's a very unique history down there. And, the, and you see that in the food and the music and in the people. Yeah. I think that really gives a lot of good, uh, you know, background on how taking a couple of trips down there. Uh, Cause you know, mm -hmm. geographically, Texas and Chicago are not very close so I know no, for me far. and I think I think for you for a long time it was not not a trip that that you know we had made or had kind of uh, carved out the time to go down there but uh, now that you've been able to go down there a few times and and I I was down there once um, it was cool mm -hmm. to like meet some of the distant relatives and mm -hmm. start to piece together um kind of like a puzzle like you you learn new things that you didn't know before and things start to fit together and and it also comes together in a larger story of migration and history like you were saying right. that you learned in some of your uh, college courses about the history of the people in the area and how different uh, people groups mixed um, in mm -hmm. in the land that is now South Texas and the valley um, so what are some of the other foods that you remember eating as a kid that were you know perhaps regional foods that had come from texas and are there any specific family traditions that 
you think have have carried over from uh, that were developed in that area? Yeah, it's interesting uh, that you say that because again, you're talking about the evolution of how people change and grow, or you know, through the generations, especially in the United States, right? So you have my mom who's been there for generations. They're still cooking traditional Mexican food at home, making tortillas from scratch. Um, again, living in America, you know, United States, then they have their culture, counterculture of like the Americana culture, the hamburger, the apple pie, right? You know, the barbecue. And so coming to the uh, Chicago area, uh, you know, now you have an influx of more influence of Chicago food, right? So growing up here with my mom, it was interesting. I think the most popular dishes, you know, you had your regular Mexican breakfast, migas, which is eggs and tortillas. Um, sometimes you might add a little cactus in the pile. You can add that with your eggs or your tacos. It's, it's cactus. It's really good. Or uh, a tradition we would have was eating tamales every Christmas, you know, and then it became maybe a part of uh, Thanksgiving mixed mixed with your Thanksgiving dinner of a turkey and apple, you know, and pumpkin pie. But you, you always had a little bit of that Mexican influence, that traditional Tex-Mex influence. So tamales and Mexican hot chocolate, you know, at Christmas time. Um, so it became a tradition where my mom would actually make the tamales at home. And um, the thing about making tamales is it takes a very long time. I think you did it once with my mom. You know, you do the masa, you have to cook the meat, and then, you know, and then you have to fold the, the, the corn husk, and then you let it steam, and, you know, it takes a long time. So all my sisters wanted to learn how to make it every year because it was a tradition that she would make a bunch of tamales. And the problem is then everybody's friends wants tamales and so-and-so's family wants tamales. And my mom would get mad because it takes a very long time and you're cooking for everybody. So it, it you know, um, it, it's something that my mom being 83 now, it's, it's a little hard for her to be in the kitchen for so long. But I do have one sister. I want to do a shout out, Diane. She actually sat and learned how to make the tamales. And she can throw down and some tamales. Really good. So, um, but tamales would be a very, um, a, a tradition in our family, you know, that has kind of stayed through. Um, and my mom would make fideo uh, a lot, that, you know, uh, a chicken mole she makes a lot. Um enchiladas, you know, we don't really make a lot of fajitas, which is really interesting because that actually is a very popular Tex-Mex food, but I don't, my mom never, I mean, we, she eats it, but we don't really make that much. Um, so if that answers your question, um, I would say that's probably the tradition that kind of stayed through. But like I was mentioning to you, growing up in Chicago, you start to be influenced by foods from around the world, right? So now you're, you know, you're addicted to like Italian beef, which don't even get me into Italian food because I have a, a business partner who's Italian and the same goes for her food here. American Italian food is very different from food where she's from in Italy. That's a whole nother segment. You need to interview her. No, but it's a very interesting, I would say wh why, why mentioning that is that food evolves right so like everybody wants to try something different someone wants to create the new dish and why i'm getting so what i'm telling you is that you can find good latino food in chicago but it starts to evolve right you know there's a really good place in oak park that we can talk about another time or you can visit it's called echo in oak park they make great tacos they're, they're pretty good but you know you start adding things like pineapple in your tacos that's something that my mom who's a traditionalist is going to be like uh no you know not because she doesn't trust them it's just she she wants just her authentic simple you know not even simple but i mean her tradition of flavoring food is what she knows and you and I, you're more of a foodie than I am. We're willing to try something different. We want to try what's new, what flavor can mix with what, what food fusion can you get? And that's where I'm getting at is in Chicago, that's what's happening. Chicago has grown to be a really popular uh, foodie place, really good restaurants, great chefs, but now it's evolving. People are wanting to try different things and, and things. So that's what I'm saying. So it, it's different from what you eat when you're at home 
than what you eat when you're out. I like what you said about the kind of the family tradition around the holidays of uh, making the tamales. And um, I, I did try to learn uh, the process of, of uh, making them. And I was taking videos on my cell phone and oh, yeah. trying to go back and, and look at them and see yeah. um, how, how the remember, process worked. Do you remember we were putting the matzah on the corn husk and my mom says you're putting it backwards and I'm like how do you yeah. put it backwards like, like I guess there's a right and wrong way to put the matzah on the corn husk <laughs> exactly yeah there there's these I mean so she's been making them for years and years and so everything just is very intuitive for her and and she doesn't even have to think twice about uh this is how this is prepared and then you do mm-hmm. this step and then this step and uh for all oh. of us we're kind of lost because we're trying to pick it up for the first time um and again you mean like i said it's not that she cooked only mexican inspired food i mean she my mom knows how to make <laughs> fried chicken so good i mean she's a texan girl so you know she can throw it on and that just the other day i was cooking with her i've been trying to learn little things here and there you know, we're making chicken and mashed potatoes. So you just get old meat and potatoes kind of dish. And I, that's what I mean is, and she was telling me she learned this because she used to babysit for a woman in Texas when she was 15 and she used to cook for them and the mother taught her how to make things. So, I mean, my mom had to learn how to cook food because her mother passed. And so she used to cook for her brother and her uncle and her grandfather. She was the one making the food. And it's always, uh, you know, a special thing when, we're able to get a large part of the family together and and enjoy uh grandma's cooking because uh she's a great cook and and she makes things that other people in the family aren't able to make Uh, and and she's been doing it for years and years and um just has has those uh has those recipes down uh she knows exactly how to make them each time i think we take it for granted so did you want to uh try to do a segment with grandma as well um it's up to you do you want me to get her or what, what do you want to do do you um, want to ask her just yeah. a few questions yeah we could do that if if she is interested we could just do a okay. couple questions all right let me go get her okay okay i'll i'll send you another link so that way we can start start over okay all right bye <laughs> Hi. Hi. Hi, Grandma. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, just hanging out in my apartment a lot these days. Yeah. You better. <laughs> <laughs> You're so cute. Yeah. So what's up? Uh, so uh, Moses and I were um, recording this podcast. And we were uh talking about like the trip that we did to texas and the bakery and some of the food that that we like to eat when we went down there oh, okay uh mm-hmm. so yeah we were wondering if you uh if you had anything that you wanted to share about like um your favorite food in texas or like uh things that you uh enjoyed uh eating when you were growing up or or like any memories of the bakery or anything like that mm. well we um our our food most of it were um like the regular things that you all eat right now and enchiladas and beans and rice and um those tostadas things like that uh but um we also cooked a lot of uh, growing up i remember cooking my family cooked a lot of fish fish and um um you know like um they would go to Matamoros to get the fish or or go to the river and um they would go catch their own <laughs> um one of the biggest things that we did was um chicken chicken soup chicken vegetable my family did a lot of that um of course you know, they had different appetizers and things like that, that guacamole and all that stuff. In the morning? Oh, my gosh. Oatmeal. <laughs> Oatmeal most of the time. Once in a while, we had eggs. We had chickens in the in the farm. 
So, you know, we would have eggs and stuff, but most of the time it was like cereal or uh, oatmeal. When did you learn how to cook like Mexican food? Me? Like beans and rice. Well, I grew up doing it when I was like a preteen. I was already helping them. A lot of the times they made a lot of chili and um, a picadillo, which is ground beef with the uh, potatoes and spices and all that. They did a lot of that too. So I was a kid, but one of my aunts, every weekend they would make enchiladas and people would go just to eat her enchiladas um that was kind of my favorite yeah what what about how do you remember last bakery? um i was in san benito what well, I, I think i talked to you about it um before uh when i was like about 14 years old we moved to san benito and um we would live like a block and a half away from um, the bakery, which we used to, every morning going to school, we would stop by, pick up some bread uh, to take to school with us. Remember when, when we were in Texas, you were mentioning that um, like the prices were very, were very low. Like you could just bring like a nickel and get some bread and, and you would go there. I think it was before or after school. Yeah, before school, we would stop by and pick up. They were two for a nickel. <laughs> two, two of those round uh, molletes, they call them. Um, we would, my cousin and I stopped in the morning and we would buy um, two of those so we could eat at school. Um, that They were very cheap then. You know, wasn't like now. Have you had bread like that ever anywhere else? Not really. Uh, I buy we buy the bread here and there everywhere else, and it's not as good as um the one we bought at uh, special special. What is that special? Mm-hmm. Well, when we went to the bakery uh, a couple years back, um, did it did it seem mm-hmm. like it was uh, similar to how it was when you were? young or does it seem like it had changed over the years mm, it, it it's the same it was the same to me the when we were there that time we got the bread the actually that's why i almost i bought a big bag remember mm-hmm. of bread to bring with because um i was telling uh the owner of that time that there, I bought a lot of bread in different places, but none of it is like was like theirs. To me, it was the same. The did you like it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I I love the bread. Did you like that? The that bread? was uh, one of the highlights of yeah. going. And I I was uh, mm-hmm. telling Moses mm-hmm. that when we were there, uh, we met the owner, and they kind of gave us a tour of the bakery and showed us the ovens and yeah. how they mm-hmm. cook things. Um, so when we did that tour, was there anything um, that that surprised mm-hmm. you or like anything new that you learned like while they were showing us around that uh, maybe you didn't uh, know before about how they bake the bread or anything? Yeah, that was interesting because um, for all the years that I lived there and we bought the bread there, I had never been in back of the kitchen. <laughs> uh, we just got the bread and took off. But when we were there in Texas the last time with you guys, uh, he took us to a tour. It was very interesting. What was interesting to me was that when he was showing us the ovens and everything, he said those were the originals of when they started the the bakery. His parents um, had built that. They built it. The man built it himself, the father. And um, they still use them so that's that was very interesting to me yeah i remember when we were Mm -hmm. there they demonstrated how they light the oven so he had a little piece of paper that was on fire and then he stuck it in and there was Mm -hmm. there was like gas uh that was going and then the whole oven kind of lit up we we talked about 
Last Bissell Bakery, and that's a bakery mm-hmm. that's been around since like the 1940s. Were there any other restaurants that you recognize that have been around for all of those years, or um, does it seem like a lot of the older restaurants have gone away, and now they're they've been replaced the, by like newer restaurants? In San Benito, most of them, um, or, or that I know when I was there, or, or not there anymore, or they're gone. Like uh, the one of the favorite ones was remember when we went by where I used to live, I told you there was a drive-in we used to go to. That's gone. Now there's a gas station there. And then another one that we used to go would be uh, by uh, La Villita. Remember that dance salon across the street from La Especial? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, the dance hall. Mm-hmm. They used to have a little... Um, um, food thing there where it was not a big restaurant. It was just a small place where you could pick up stuff. We used to go over there and get food, you know, like um, enchiladas and beans, rice on the weekends to take home. Um, I don't think they have that anymore except for the dance thing. That's about the ones that I think were still there. All The other ones are all, all gone. So you mentioned that there was a little drive-in. Uh, what what kind of food would they have there? Or what did you usually order when you? Oh, uh, at the drive-in, it was mostly a hamburger thing and fries. Um, it, they had a fountain, you know, soda fountain oh. thing. So, on the same street where La Special Bakery is, on Robertson Street, uh, was the theater I used to work for, and right there next between the theater. In the bank, there was a um, soda shop that they they had two of them in San Benito. And all they served was uh, ham and cheese sandwiches and hamburgers and fries, uh, root beer and, you know, um, Coke. Did your grandfather eat yeah. there? No, he did not. Why? I, I, no, because he didn't like the hamburgers and <laughs> stuff. He went to the Mexican restaurant. I went to the soda shop with my friends. So um, I mm-hmm. think earlier you had mentioned sometimes you would go over to uh, Matamoros and pick up something. So would you say it was easier back then to just go over to Mexico? And, and were there times where you would go there to buy different types of food? Mm, yeah, that's... um. My my aunts always went to Matamoros. Actually, they did every weekend. They would go to buy um, things that um, they, it was cheaper over there to get. And then also in the late 40s, right after the war ended, uh, because they, they used to ration. You can only, they would give you a, a book, a booklet, and you can only buy like two pairs of shoes for the whole um, year. And and then they would give you uh, rations for food. You can only get so much sugar or so much of these and that. Once you ran out of those, you didn't have any. You couldn't buy any because you didn't have those tablets. So that's why my family went to Matamoros. Um, they go to Bronzeville. And what they did, they would take a bus to Bronzeville, and then they take a bus from Bronzeville to Matamoros to buy the food and things like that that they could get over there. Besides, it was cheaper also because, like, we couldn't get the shoes. Um, they would go over there to buy the shoes or waraches or whatever they needed. Waraches are sandals. Sandals. Mm-hmm. So you were able to go over to Mexico and they didn't have any yeah. rationing system there. So you could, you could get more yeah. sugar. Yeah. We, we could get the sugar, the flour, meat, bananas, fruits that you, we couldn't get here. Um, things like that. Um, and then whatever it was, and saw a lot of, a lot of fish to get the fish over there. Um, every weekend, a certain areas, not everywhere. You could see the border from from the highway, um, because we live just not too far from the river, 
when I was uh, a kid in the ranchito, we used to walk over and there's a time when the river is real low. It, it kind of dries out. We could just walk across the street and um, pick up um, vegetables over there and then come back again. We would go for uh, mostly corn and tomatoes sometimes, whatever they the, the ranches um, had along the river. That's that's just like on this on this side. Uh, if you would walk over by the border, um, there was a lot of farming on this side and on the other side. Oh, we had um, next door to us. There was a big field next to the house, and um, it, it would be at one time it would be peas, another time it would be green beans, another time it would be tomatoes. Um, they never had corn there. Uh, the, the other farmer had it on the other side of the house across the street. And then we could get the corn. But most of the time, potatoes, uh, red potatoes, um, just things like that, that seasonal that they grew. Because then when there was no vegetables to grow or anything, they would grow cotton. So, yeah, it's interesting how they could use the land for um, not just one thing, but just a different things. Uh, and, and being there because it was it's a small community and everybody know everybody, they would let people pick up at the end of the season when they weren't picking up anymore. They would turn over the dirt. And you could get the potatoes and they said, whatever you want, just get it because it's going to go to waste, you know. They don't grow unless the people, the families, like my aunt, uh, Ma Santos, she had a big banana thing, which gave bananas. Only one in another family maybe had something, but not something they grow there. But but the, the we had a lot of... Um, oranges and grapefruits. And I think you saw that too, limes that, and, uh, you know, we didn't have to buy. We had a lot of wild berries, blueberries and things like that, that the, my grandpa would take us and show us which were the ones that you could eat. Um, we also had, I have never seen this before, but they used to have trees that have, they, they call them moras. And they give this little fruit, the modas. I don't know what they're in English, but they look like more like a blueberry type of thing. They did have a lot of wild blueberries and things like that that you could pick up. Other than that, we got every kind of vegetable. You know, you can get zucchini, bell peppers, all kinds of peppers, uh, corn, t tomatoes, potatoes. Um, and all most of the like green, like I said, green beans and peas and all that. Everything grows. Uh, well, thank you so much, uh, Uncle Mo, for joining me on the podcast today, and of course, uh, you know, for bringing on our special guest, uh, my grandma and your mom, uh, to to join us for the podcast. Um, you know, for me personally, I just wanted to, uh, you know, thank you for always um, reminding me of my family history and my roots because I know for me personally like I kind of grew up in a multicultural family and so I, I have a little bit of uh, family history on one side that's different from the other side and so it's always helpful to spend time with with our family and doing that trip to Texas was really uh, a special thing for me and something that I'll always remember and and it was fun today to uh, to go back and look on those memories and uh, and just to think about, um, you know, how, how we were able to learn about our family history. So um, as we are wrapping up the podcast, is there anything else that you wanted to share about Texas or about um, anything else that we covered today? Uh, one of the things that I remember uh, doing every year um, during Christmas is uh, tamales. So uh, they, that people would gather together at the house 
and make a whole bunch of tamales for everyone and most of all of the neighbors and everything. That was like every year um, that, that I can remember of mostly um, is the times that people would come together to my house and, and do that. Um, there's a lot of other things I can't think of right now um, that, uh, you know, I could tell you, but maybe another time when I think about stuff already down so I don't forget. Yeah, it sounds great. I mean, I think um, uh, we we uh, covered a lot of, of good information and, and it was really cool to hear you talk about like all of the the crops like the vegetables and the fruits and uh the things that were like locally grown and it sounds like that was uh really a like an important part of what you were able to cook with every day was like having easy access to yeah. all this food that was right. grown locally the thing about that area for being this there wasn't that big of an area they were well they had um they had a church they had a school you know so Kids could go to school and we, you know, with church and everything, it wasn't like it was just country. You know what I'm saying? We had two grocery stores. <laughs> two, grocery stores. <laughs> two grocery stores. So Angie, yeah. she's trying to tell you that it's not just the country. They had two grocery <laughs> stores. You could, buy, you could buy some other food. She wanted to, make, to, she just wanted to make sure, like, no, it was, it was yeah. It wasn't just growing All right. vegetables. I would say for I would say for me um, is I'm still going to go and visit Texas and learn more. Um, Texas is a is a really big state, so there's so much there to to see. But um, go, I'm definitely going to go back down to South Texas again, and um, st we still have family down there that lives there. So um, yeah, I'm definitely going to go back. I really love the food, and it, talking to Grandma, you understood what I was saying. The kind of the hodgepodge of influence of food and how it just kind of, you know, our influence of how we ate at home. Yeah, empanadas. Oh, now she's talking about more food. <laughs> I love the empanadas. She used to eat empanadas, but that's another, that's a whole nother, that's part two. <laughs> yeah, there's, okay. there's we, we just keep on uh, digging and, and uh, learning more about the history. So yeah, it would be fun to like record a part two and like you said of course we got to make another trip down there and uh go back to some of these restaurants mm -hmm. and, and uh just kind of enjoy it because the culture there is like a little more laid back it's like not a big city so things move a little slower and it's kind of nice to enjoy that slow pace oh yeah mm -hmm. yeah they do mm -hmm. yeah. yeah everybody knows everybody <laughs> that's <what you're> <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah well um yeah okay. thank you again so much for uh joining uh for joining the podcast and um yeah it was it was fun so thank you so much for joining thank you for inviting us and um we're really proud of you and we are very it's very cool what you're doing so thank you so much all right uh mm -hmm. thank you listeners for for tuning mm -hmm. in to another episode and uh we'll see you next time Thank you.